Olive Branch podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anwar Mahajni. In this podcast, I interview activists with ties to Israel and Palestine who identify as peace activists and are working on ending Israeli occupation of the Palestinian territories. Today, I interview Etamal Feigenbaum, a member of Combatant for Peace. Etamal, thank you very much for agreeing to be interviewed for the podcast today. Um, I look forward to learning more about your story. I honestly don't know much. So it's going to be interesting to discover your story with the listeners, or I guess when I record it, because their listeners will hear it later. And I really am very interested and combatant for peace, as I told you before we started recording, I interviewed multiple people, multiple activists from there. And I was wondering if you could tell me more about your role with combatant for peace. Uh, how long have you been involved with them and why did you decide to get involved with them? Um, okay, hi. So first of all, really, um, thank you for having me, pleasure. So I joined combatant for peace. Now, uh, I think it was 2007. I, I tell people that there's the, uh, the short version why I joined and then a bit longer version. So the short version was that at the time, actually my partner, my, my wife, she organized a workshop that had to do with peace. So it was like a two days workshop in Israel. And the second day, we took a tour uh, with uh, Mahsoum Watch, which is a, a women activist uh, uh, for many years now organization. And, and they do tours to the West Bank. So we did a tour to the West Bank. And for me, it was actually the first time I was in the West Bank since I was in the, serving the, in the Israeli military. And um, the tour was actually to Fawara um, uh, checkpoint. At uh, that time, it was uh, one of the biggest checkpoints within the West Bank, which actually everybody from all Palestinians from Nablus that wanted to move north had to go to this uh, checkpoint. So, meaning it's a lot of concrete and long lines between tall uh, fences and, and, and military. And um, well, the, the short version was that on the way back, I asked the, our, our guide, she was from, from this uh, women's organization, Mahsomot, if I can join and help. But since it was a, a women's organization, she said, uh, listen, we're a women organization. So, how about you give a call to combatants for peace? Uh, maybe you'll find it interesting. And that's what I did. But I think I was, the, the background for me joining was that in the two years before that, so I think around 2005, like two things in my life, I think uh, pushed me toward uh, this direction. So one of them was that, um, uh, me and my partner, me and my wife, we were looking for a kindergarten where we live in Tivon, which is a, a town in northern Israel between Haifa and Nazareth. We're looking for a kindergarten uh, for our uh, eldest daughter. And we heard about an uh, idea that was uh, between 
some people that live in our town with some uh, people from the nearby village, which is just adjacent to Kivon, uh, to open a, a Jewish Arab kindergarten. So we joined this initiative and we got involved also in the administrative part of, of running. It's what we call in Israel, I don't know if, how it's in, if you have something similar in the US, we call it like a parent-led kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And I stayed involved uh, in, in the kindergarten also a bit, a couple of years also after my, my kids, my, also my, my younger son, uh, when they finished the kindergarten, went to school. But for me, it was, looking back, it was, I guess, the first time that I had relations with Palestinians, with Arabs, uh, which was, I would, uh, I would use, I use the word normal, like normal civil, you know, we were parents uh, meeting in the morning, bringing our kids to the kindergarten, and we had uh, parent meetings with uh, teachers, and we had, uh, you know, administrative meetings. So it was actually for me the first time, yeah, getting to know uh, Palestinians, Arabs, uh, people who were different from me. In, yeah, in it, it was, yeah, as I said, like it, it's a, like in a normal day-to-day -day situation. Even though your I, town I, is not far from lots of Arab, Arab towns in, the, in Israel, right? Palestinian towns in Israel, which is fascinating to hear. Or, yeah, or, or most of the, the towns, I mean, we say town villages, but we are, yeah, they mm -hmm. are um, really... Uh, homogeneous when it comes to Jewish Jews and Arabs. And, and Tivon itself, so nearby, there's a village Basma Tivon and Zbidat and Khilf. So we're just, you know, one house, the end, the outskirts of one town is the beginning of the, of the village. So it's, it's really, uh, so if you, if, you, if you flew above, you won't see the difference. It isn't much, there's no distance between the, um, the towns. And, um, yeah, it's also part of the story. You know, I, I grew up in Haifa, which is a Jewish Arab, Arab Jewish uh, town. But looking back, I never had any actually or real contact with with Palestinians, with Arabs living in Haifa. I don't know how that's even possible in Haifa, you know? <laughs> well, I think then it was even more like separated, you know, where the neighborhoods were 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 also where originally Palestinian neighborhoods and and I was growing up more up in the mountain and yeah and the neighborhoods are, are separated so my, my father had a shop downtown so it's not that I didn't meet Arabs you know but the, the, uh, for example all my school years 12 years of school years there was never once some kind of an activity you know meeting trying to meet uh, yeah, students from from different schools, from from Jews and, and, and Arab schools. Today there are more there are more programs like that, but okay, that's a different story to talk about it. But yeah, so and and at the same time, 2000, 2005, I, I joined a program in the Haifa University uh, of uh, of masters in in business administration. And it was um, a special program, which was by definition a Jewish Arab 
program. So the idea was to, to uh, was to build a, a group of students. We were third Jews, third Palestinians uh, from Israel, and about a third of Palestinians from the West Bank. And in a way, it, it was also a moment for me that the first time of, again, you know, having connection, relations with Palestinians on a, you know, as students. And it was uh, for me very, um, yeah, it was changing. I, I, it's not like something very dramatic, but yeah, it's, it's a, having this, you know, meeting in a normal situation of a university and feeling, it's for me at least, you know, it's the feeling, I think for Palestinians, it, it's, it's, there's no symmetry. I mean, for me as a Jew, I think I really needed the experience of feeling that we are, you know, similar, we are whole humans, you know, all these cliches, but which I kind of knew, you know, in my head, but it's, it's different when you really experience it. I think these two experiences also prepared me to that point when I was found myself in the West Bank in this tour, I was telling myself I had this emotional, it was emotional for me, you know, being there and, and saying, okay, I have to get involved. I have to do something. And so I, I, I guess that's what, you know, <laughs> prepared me for, for the decision. It was the school hand in hand or was it called something else, the kindergarten? Uh, no, we, um, yeah, so also for our listeners, so there, there's a, a rather big NGO in, in Israeli terms, uh, which is called Hand to Hand, and, and they started yeah, having uh, joint Jewish-Arab schools. At the beginning, we were in contact with them, so we wanted like to be affiliated, but the decision, uh, th there's this kind of thing in, uh, in Tivon, we have a lot of kindergartens and school uh, in a very pedagogical way, which uh, that's, has different names, but it's known also by the anthroposophical uh, pedagogics or uh, anthroposophical schools mm -hmm. or Steiner schools. So, and, and then at that time, it didn't fit with the way they were, you know, conducting their kindergartens and um, and schools, but you know, it was we were in contact. Yeah. So at the end, we, we formed like our own and small NGO uh, to run the kindergarten. So in that kind of talking about engagement with Arab parents, Arab families in normal settings at university, a normal that's I'm assuming opposed to um, conflict setting. Uh, but just to clarify to our listeners that we're talking about. Um, Palestinians um, who are citizens of Israel, right? Um, not Palestinians from the West Bank on Gaza uh, when we're talking about normal settings, right? Just to clarify that for everyone. Yeah, so, so the kindergarten, so we were, we were Jewish and Arab families living nearby within Israel. We are, we're all Israeli citizens, yes. Mm -hmm. So you talked about the trip you took with Mahsam Watch, which I've heard a lot about and I hope Fully, one day we'll interview some people who are active with it. Um, and you talked about the trip you took that kind of what made you want to take action. And I'm assuming during your service, you saw checkpoints, right? So how is seeing 
that like touring the West Bank with an NGO versus being in the military, how is it different and why, like how did it help you see your experience differently in the West Bank? Well, of, of, of course, there is the, the age factor. Mm -hmm. So where you're, when, when, you're, when, when, uh, when you're 19 and 20, you look at things differently. I think also when I was in the military, I kind of, I would say that the narrative that I soaked and I, as a, as a young, as a young man joining the military or grew up also in high school, you know, this narrative is, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about an, an Israeli Jewish narrative about, uh, you know, things are temporary. So it's right, we're occupying the West Bank, but, you know, just waiting, you know, for the peace process, you know, there'll be peace, you know. So I guess as a soldier, I was, um, you know, in my head, like saying to myself that, you know, it's uh, okay, you know, the, the, this is what's need to be done. And, you know, I'm not happy about it, but I'm now, you know, in the military, you have to follow orders and, and, and you try to be, you know, as you do the job as respectful as you can or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I think the difference is also that I can talk about myself personally. I think what I was doing, I was distancing myself from Palestinians, you know, I mean, starting in the West Bank in a way. So I, I was not trying to think, um, well, not thinking of them emotionally as human beings. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so the human being, because you know it's it's the distance, keeping a distance mm -hmm. from from them, and it makes things easier. So it's kind of uh, you know, this is the situation. You know, these are the rules now. Or I don't know. And I have also to say that I think in, I guess you have to put a lot of quotes and unquotes on on, on what I'm going to say now. But I was in a sense lucky. Uh, a bit lucky because um, I, I was serving kind of a semi-special unit so we weren't we weren't uh, uh, put in, in checkpoints we were like you know saved for for more complex situations so I, I have to say that uh, I, I didn't have the experience of uh, you know st standing uh, the shift of six or eight hours in a checkpoint in the West Bank. Uh, at that time, we were also, Israel was occupying the part of South Lebanon. So part of my service actually was, uh, was in Lebanon. And, and, and in Lebanon then, you know, the, uh, the settings are psychologically for me as a soldier were, were easier because I wasn't so much engaged with civilian population. I, I do remember first time <clears throat> as a young soldier, uh, we were in, in Gaza and uh, we were taking we were a few soldiers and we had to join someone to, to secure someone from the security forces uh, who's going to take a Palestinian for uh, interrogations. So, and, and I was a young soldier, first time in Gaza, 
and it was night. I remember we were driving to, to someone's house in the city and, and, and this uh, guy from the, from the secret service or security forces, you know, went out of, from the Jeep and the vehicle and, and knocked on the door and after a few seconds came out with a Palestinian and Palestinian sat in, 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 the, in the back of the Jeep with us. And it was, I remember it because um, it was for me such a big contrast, you know, the tension for me as a young soldier, for me, I was now in a very hostile environment, you know, night and you're in Gaza and you're told that we're taking someone for interrogation. So you, I assume that he's dangerous. And then he just sits on the floor of the Jeep, you know, not handcuffed even. I remember this as as a, as as a first memory. Actually, actually, I kind of forgot about it, and then I remember this situation that that was actually the first time. Uh, I was actually a, a a couple. It was a funny story that I was, I was a couple of I was two times in in Gaza doing my military service, and. Uh, in meetings we do in combatants for peace, we do it like here. We we tell our personal stories. And I think maybe in the first couple of years I was in meetings telling my personal story. I didn't remember that I was ever in, in Gaza. And, and it was in a meeting, suddenly it like, it like hit me. And I remember, wow, you know, memories started to come back. And it, it was also funny for me because wasn't that it was something very, very tragic, but somehow I, I was blocking these, these memories. So you, you were asking the difference, uh, um, you know, be, being in the West Bank uh, years later as an adult. So, so I think, yes, the difference is that later I'm, I'm a parent, I have children, I'm older and so I, I think being in the West Bank, I, I couldn't but not see the situation, not trying to look to see the situation through the eyes of the Palestinians, I, I was seeing in, in, the, in the checkpoint. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so I, I would say maybe this, this is the, the biggest difference. And you said that the way you got with Mach, uh, involved in, or attended the event organized by Mahsumat was because your wife posted something and you joined. So I was curious as to why, first of all, I mean, I guess this is not an interview about your wife, but like the partner that you <laughs> decide to spend your life with kind of says a lot about you as well. But when did this political consciousness and kind of leaning toward supporting these issues or the curiosity about exploring these issues from a different perspective um, emerge. Like you said, during your military service, you were kind of brainwashed. It was, or, you know, the, you fed one narrative and then the context, the separation that happens between Arabs and Jews in Israel, as well as othering the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza kind of made it easier to distance yourself, right? But when did you start kind of uh, getting closer, attempting to get closer? Because it seems like you started the thinking process before going on that trip to, to the West Bank with Mahsoumaj. Um, I would say it's a combination. I mean, I do remember myself also as a teenager in high school. Uh, I was very much with 
all my friends, we were, you know, very much involved in the in the scout in the youth movement. So they were political. I, I was aware of, of, you know, about the occupation, about the West Bank, about the conflict. And I think when I, I finished my service in the army, I it didn't it felt you know like I have a lot of open. It didn't feel like a closure. It, it's not it didn't it's it. I think. I mean, at least for me, the, looking back, I think it was very something very intensive in my service, and then it you know it suddenly from one day to another it it, it halted. So I guess it also gives kind of an effect that you know I left something unfinished. And we're talking also about the time, so 2005, I thought so we're talking about the end of the Second Intifada. Mm -hmm. and, and the Second Intifada was looking, I think I, I, I me myself, I haven't really processed. I lived through it, you know, I went to work and got back. We were a young couple. I was starting my job after, after graduating university and so on. But I don't think I really processed you know, this era. And of course, I'm talking, I was from, from the Israeli side. I'm not, you know, even trying to start comparing it to what went through for, for Palestinians in the West Bank and uh, in Gaza. Um, but yeah, these were very intense years. I, I um, you know, in Haifa, I remember three, you know, suicide bombers. We had uh, two in the restaurants and uh, the, and then there was the bus, the line 37 in Haifa exploding, which was airline was like a few hundred meters from where I lived. So I remember the day it exploded. I, I, my daughter was in the kindergarten and I knew she was safe and everything, but you know, I left work and, and went up to take her from, from the kindergarten. And, and I remember, you know, passing by seeing the, the, the bus, um, you know, after the explosion and, and a daughter of a family friend uh, was killed there and, and, and another suicide bombing in Haifa. Sister of, of someone we knew from school died there. I mean, the whole family was there when she died. And, and that's just what was close, you know, where I lived in Haifa. And, and for me, the second intifada, I, I it didn't change my mind. So, I mean, it was always clear that, you know, we need to find a peaceful solution. Mm -hmm. And 2000, that was actually the beginning. So we, we there was also the, the, the big demonstrations. A lot of Palestinians within Israel did the Palestinian in, in it was 2000, if I'm not mistaken, and the police shootings, I think 13, civilians uh, were killed by police. So, so I was saying, so the years 2005, six, seven, these years, we were just, you know, after very uh, intense years. And I somehow did not develop uh, anger against Palestinians from these years. Although, you know, I had fr friends or colleagues at work that it, it changed a lot. I mean, for me, I think it was, it's, it's a question of, you know, hope, hopelessness or despair. Mm -hmm. So if, if you lose hope, 
then I guess you need to kind of uh, rationalize it so you, you <laughs> develop the hate and anger towards the other party. The, uh, but um, I think really a, a lot of people in Israel, I'm, I'm, again, I can only talk about the, the Jewish society, you know, lost hope or, or yeah, got hopeless, felt hopelessness, how do you say it, uh, during these years. And I think that, that it still affects us still today. I think uh, a lot of what's happening in Israel from, you know, in the political, the politics in Israel, I, I, I think there's still, these are effects of, of these years. I'm, I'm curious, what, I know that you're an activist with Combatant for Peace, but you have a, a full-time job, right? That is not just uh, working. Yes. I'm a high school teacher. What do you teach? Physics. Physics. <laughs> At least that's a topic that's far away from politics, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> I do. Um, so what kind of projects are you involved in with Combatant for Peace? Because you talked about hope, you talked about kind of not giving up. And why did you choose to get involved in these projects? A couple of years ago, we we're kind of playing the idea of, I mean, so, so combat, I just say in general word that combatants for peace, in the basis, we, we try to work in local groups of activists of Israeli and Palestinians. So yeah, so, so the, the idea is to try, if it fits, to work locally and, and work, work jointly, uh, Jews and Arabs, Israeli and Palestinians. A couple of years ago, I started also with, with a colleague friend who also lives here in, 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 in Tivon in the north, uh, trying to think of um, how and if we can like, uh, organize a group of activists in the north. So I think what's hap what was happening, we, 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 we got contact with a with few Palestinians from Nazareth, Israelis, yeah, Israeli citizens that were interesting of, of trying to think uh, about it. And, um, and at the same time, so the automatic thing for us would be that we would try and engage with Palestinians in the northern part of the West Bank, which is relatively close to, to where I live. But perchance we got to meet and started to, to talk and meet with, with some Palestinians uh, from Nazareth, which are Israeli citizens as, as we are. And we started to um, trying to think if at all it's, it would be like if there's a point for us to work as a group in this framework of combatants for peace. And um, at that time, so it would be like a couple of years before that, we started to engage of uh, trying to do what we succeeded, we did a joint service, a joint event, a joint Israeli-Palestinian event on the eve of the um, Memorial Day in Israel. You, you, you know it, but I guess maybe for our listeners to say that uh, in Israel, the um, Memorial Day for the um, uh, soldiers who were killed in war and for civilians killed in, in in military actions, in terror act actions, is adjacent. It's just a day before Israeli independence. And, and in the Israeli culture, 
it's a very, I would say, it's a, it's a very important day. Mm -hmm. Either if, if you're in the education system, in schools, or in the youth movements, I mean, all around, it, it, these are, um, it's a very, uh, it's a very important day, but they're very, very uh, Jewish-Israeli. Because it depicts, I mean, it, it's for me, I mean, as a young person growing uh, in this culture and everything, so the, the, the Memorial Day and the Israel Independence Day, they're like the, I would say the, the this, this symbol of the uh, existence and, and uh, independence and the establishment of the, of the state of Israel and the story of how the state, uh, how Israel uh, came to be. And combatants for peace was, we were leading also from this time around, from, from around 2005 and the evening of, of Memorial Day, we were uh, conducting or making an, an event, a joint uh, memorial event, uh, Israeli-Palestinian to commemorate victims of the conflict from both sides. When we started the event, it, 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 the event takes place in Tel Aviv, around 2005, maybe 70 people attending the event, mainly you know, activists from combatants for peace, Israeli-Palestinians, and maybe a few other you know, people close to it. And from year to year, this event um, grew from 70 people to a couple of hundreds, 700 people, then we got over 1,000, 2,000 people and kept growing. And before the corona, I think we were doing the main event openly in a park in Tel Aviv. I think it was between, I don't know, 7,000, 8,000 people coming, mostly Jews. And in a way, it, 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 in a way for, for Israeli Jewish liberals, it, it became maybe the, not intended, but it became maybe the most important peace event uh, during, during the year. The event, we weren't able uh, to make it relevant for Israeli-Palestinians. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, it was four years ago, five years ago, so we were a few people here in, my, in, in the town where I live in Kivon. Someone pitched the idea and said, okay, let's do it. And, and we did a small event here. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to make it a joint Jewish-Arab-Israeli well, that's the problem with all the identities. So I'll just <laughs> say Jewish Arab. But the idea was that for uh, Israeli Palestinians, they'll find a uh, meaning to come and be or speak in such an event. Mm -hmm. And what I learned, we learned through this process that if, if we were to do uh, a memorial event, for victims of war. So in, in a way, so I, please correct me, I say it very, uh, maybe I, I won't be accurate, but in a way, the last war that really affected till today the lives of the Israeli-Palestinians was the 1948 war. Mm -hmm. And what came to be that now for, for about three years before the corona, we were doing 
At the same time that the big event was done in, in Tel Aviv, we're doing smaller events. We started here in Tivon and then did also in Haifa. Mm -hmm. And what came to be was for me an interesting uh, learning process because there were Israeli Palestinians willing to come and to speak. And, and, and it came to be that the, the, these were events that was, we, for me at least, started to hear stories from, from 48. But also for me, I feel that um, it was kind of a, a tryout, a pilot or experiment to see if we can on this on this day, which is very very Zionistic, objectively, but uh, even more for for Palestine, Israeli Palestinians, mm -hmm. um, to to build an evening with content and meaning that for at least some Israeli Palestinians they find that it's worthwhile their time to you know to come and be there and talk, speak or, or even listen. So I was engaged in, in this very much until the corona because of the you know, gathering restrictions. Um, we haven't done it. Uh, I don't know if we'll do it this year, but you know, the, we have now that at least a two year break because of the corona. But I, I was telling about meeting with these friends in Nazareth and for them, it was too much. And they said, no, uh, we're not doing anything on the Memorial Day, forget about it. I mean, this is too, we're not getting even, you know, we're not even gonna get the kilo, you know, a mile close to this Zionistic for, for them, which I understand and agree for, for such an, uh, you know, sim a symbol, such a big symbol of, of, of Zionism. Mm -hmm. But we, we continue to meet and, one of, the, of these friends, he's from a family which is actually what we what like uh, um, of displaced family from, from a village near Nazareth that was uh, expelled and destroyed in 48 from Mjaddel. Uh, mm -hmm. And we started talking about that and, and what came out, and this is what we're doing till today. So we, start, we decided that we as a group of, of activists, Jews and Arabs, Israelis, so we'll focus on the stories of this of the displaced villages. So we're talking about the, the 1948 war and during this war and afterward, if I'm not mistaken, the number which is being like the symbolic number, which is not far from the truth, is 531 villages and, and communities were destroyed and, and expelled. Mm -hmm. And um, most of these um, communities and people uh, fled with outside the borders, which is now Israel, and weren't allowed to go back. And these are the Palestinian refugees outside of Israel. Some of the Palestinian refugees live in refugee, refugees camps in the West Bank and Gaza. But relatively a small group are actually stayed within the borders of Israel. So they were expelled and ran away from their villages. Their villages were destroyed, but they're still within Israel and they're now, and they got the citizenship. So they're citizens of Israel, 
which are not allowed to go back to their lands. So this is the story that we started as a group of activists to, to tell, and we do it by doing open public tours, inviting people to join, and we try to visit, to, to go to the place, you know, to the land where the village was, and, and invite someone uh, from the community. Either it's someone that lived, you know, through the time of the, of the, of the war or second generation. So this is the, the project that we, we, we kind of uh, got ourselves involved in. So we, 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 call the, we decided to call the project 531. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is uh, uh, one area I'm engaged with. And the other area is um, uh, in the Jordan Valley. Um, so we're few. We, we've, there are a few activists from Combatants for Peace, but we're engaged with a larger group of activists, mainly uh, Jewish-Israeli activists, that um, we form what we call a coalition of activists. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there, our main, um, the main activity is accompany Palestinian shepherds in the Jordan Valley when they go with their sheep. Um, so we go only to you know, we go with uh, with shepherds that contact us and ask for for us to accompany them. And the idea is that um, trying a bit to help them uh, maintain the the ability to graze in the lands. And so, in case they get engaged with Israeli military or settlers, and most of the time it's both of them. So they won't be alone in the situation because we as Israelis were much less vulnerable to, to the military and, and we speak the language and we're not so afraid of them because we're privileged. And, and the idea is, is to try, if we can, you know, to preserve a bit day by day their ability to, you know, maintain their love, livelihood uh, as, as shepherds. And so I'm, we're doing this now for about, I think, also four years. Maybe we're, we're now engaging the year five, I'm not sure. And also some legal work we started to do um, because we're on the ground and we witness things. So we started also to most of the years now, and until recently we were working with uh, with the lawyer Itai Mek. Uh, he's a, one of the important uh, human rights lawyers in Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we collaborated with him and he did uh, legal work behind it, concentrating on, on the Jordan Valley, which is also a sad story for itself. Things got, the, the reason everything started four years ago because in the Jordan Valley, four years ago, um, two new outposts, uh, were established in the north part, and but this time these uh, outposts started to harass the Palestinian shepherds. And since then, so we're talking the last four or five years, another three to four outposts were established. So things got really, they only worsened. So I don't have any uh, mm-hmm. good. Uh, Thing, you know, uh, to, to report, but um, 
Yes. That's fascinating. I mean, it's a lot that you highlighted in these two projects. I wonder how, since you're active and you've been kind of working on figure out the best way to contribute or get us to a place where there is a peaceful, peaceful resolution, right? How do you define peace activism? What is peace activism? And why do you think it's important in the context, of course, of Israel-Palestine? It's, uh, it's, it's a good question. And I, I'm not sure I have an answer. Um, I have to say that I'm kind of, you know, the terms, also the terms and, and words, I don't know, it's not like it didn't lose their meaning, but I think in the last two, three years, words started to change meaning for me. Mm -hmm. Or maybe me for myself, I start to, you know, try and use other words. I, I'm saying this because I'm not sure in a way what a peace activist is. Mm -hmm. It's more clear to me what a human rights activist is. I don't see the difference in a way. You know, a lot of, a lot of most of what we do in the Jordan Valley and what I encounter in the Jordan Valley, you know, meeting, meeting the shepherds, the Palestinian shepherds, you know, getting to know their way of, of life, a bit of, you know, of this uh, tradition and, and culture. So what I witness is, you know, human rights infringements. Mm -hmm. It's even, I start to understand also how, how these, how human rights issue is actually also directed with, you know, destruction of culture, destruction of, of livelihood of economy. So I, 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 I haven't thought about it for a long time, but now talking to you, I, I'm trying to think if it's more important to talk about human rights and, you know. Which is fine, you know, I have noticed yeah. a lot of activists that I've spoken with have all either redefined what peace means or complicated it or added words or definitions that are different to a human rights activist versus a peace activist. And what does that mean? That's an interesting point to think about how are they different? Human rights are necessary for peace, right? Um, exactly, exactly. I, I think maybe it's for, for me being part of the Israeli Jewish society. I think also growing up, you know, the word peace is really used a lot and it's, and, and, mm -hmm. and we really depict ourselves as peace-seeking society. But as you say, I mean, if, if, if you don't have the human rights, I mean, there mm -hmm. won't be peace. So yeah, it's, I think mm -hmm. it's, it's a basis. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and that's what I think a lot of activists do is move it beyond, you know, the absence of violence or pacifying one side to more, a situation that is just <laughs> and again human rights peace and justice are all tied together i think also for me i you know i i started as you know for me i was joining a peace movement and i i was joining a, i'm still you know the motivation is to build peace but the thing is as time passes i i learn you know i i it's, it, I tell it, I say it a lot, and it's, it, it is, it's really true. I mean, it, it's, it's a cliche, but, but 
It's really so. I mean, th there isn't a time that I don't visit the West Bank and I don't learn something new. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I, I guess I want us to, you know, get. I have a few, a couple more questions that kind of are tied together. One of them: What are the challenges that you faced or are facing because of your activism, because of your political position? I mean, you're a teacher. You, I'm sure you have an extended family. What do you think of their of your views? Have your views or activism interfered with anything in your life? And then how did you deal with these challenges and what kind of advice do you have for people who are thinking about being active but are worried about facing similar challenges to encourage them to continue on their path? The truth said, I, I think I, I'm, a more, I'm more afraid of consequences that are, really are. And personally, yeah, I'm, I'm really not, uh, I think other activists have much, bigger challenge, so I I'm, I'm guess I'm lucky. I think my, my, also my extended family respect and also friends respect what I, what I do, even though, I mean, they won't, don't agree with me. And, and you know, being a teacher, a high school teacher, I, I think I, 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 I was careful, I'm, I'm maybe too careful, you know, trying to, you know, for, for, Know, people, students, not to know. Generally, no. I mean, in school, I'm, I'm not justifying it, but uh, maybe it's also for for my peace of mind. So I kind of try to do a separation. I, you know, don't tell in school, you know, about my activism and in in the in the political uh, uh, environment we have today in 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 Israel. I mean, it's it's enough that you know being identified as a lefty uh, uh, that's 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 enough to have uh, you know conversations you don't really have to know the details i was uh, um i know if, if, if you remember or you heard about it but uh, a few years ago in in the town where i live uh, a teacher got um he got almost fired and then later that year he was fired for another thing, but 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 there was like a month national, uh, you know, media around the story of this teacher, and and the whole thing started because he was he said in class something that could have been. I mean, it was perceived as if he's um, you know criticizing the Israeli military as not being moral. Mm -hmm. Although this is not what he said, but this is like. What uh, anyway? One of his uh, students, she wrote a complaint letter to the minister of education, oh, wow. and yeah, I, I, I mean, for me, it's kind of a farce, you know, about the whole system. But what what really happened that, and then they rolled it down, and it came to the to the, um, the director of the school, and and then they called him for an interview before termination. And the thing was that the, the, this uh, interview before termination was recorded by consent by everybody. So there is a recording of, of what went there. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was at least two, two theater, theater plays were made out of this. 
but but it had a chilling. I, I was in the school, so it happened in the in a school that I was teaching in. Um, so it had a chilling effect, although you know maybe I wouldn't admit it uh, in the previous years, but it had a chilling effect, I guess, also on me, and, but nationally. Mm-hmm. But but I have to say that you know in the last. Um, couple of years, I mean, here and there, I mean, I, I get engaged with students, high school students, you know, my students, you know, and we get to talk about politics, or they ask me, mostly it starts because they start to ask me questions, and and I think it's, it's like they really didn't have a chance to talk with someone with ideas on the left, mm-hmm. so for him, for them, it's, it's, uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting and and you know I respect it and and it's interesting for me to hear their thoughts. So we don't argue. It's 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 very are very good conversations and mainly I ask questions. I don't find myself even in the need of you know telling what I think. It's more at the end mainly I ask them questions or maybe I you know suggest information that they might check. I think for me I feel that for for you know for the young people I. I decided it's it's more important for me maybe as a teacher that you know they take responsibility on their political uh, opinions mm-hmm. and 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 take responsibility for me meaning you know back it with information with reasoning not mm-hmm. just you know quote the, the propaganda of other politicians but I also learned a lot from these conversations, for example, that, you know, I think my, my students, the generation, generations today who graduate high school, it's like we live in different geographies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me growing up and still, you know, the, the, what we call the green line, which is the 67, the 48 border that separates between the West Bank, the occupied West Bank and, and the state of Israel. So for me, it's really real. I know where it, you know, where it is, and and and, but, you know, again, I have a really small sample of students I was talking with, but but it, this is something that occurred again and again that they don't see the green line. What we say, so I mean, they don't see the border. They, mm-hmm. they it's like they have totally different geography in their heads and. And it's because of the politics of in Israel, in the at least, you know, in the Jewish schools and the way they're taught. Uh, or so, and then you get interesting. Actually, interesting. Um, so you know, if if I'm was used to these interesting, you know, these uh, uh, you know them these one state, two states uh, discussions. Mm-hmm. So with students, it takes a different turn because for them, it's it's one state actually. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I find it that, and, and that, you know, with, with the young people, actually you can talk about things like human rights, because although on paper they're like they have right-wing opinions, but, you know, when it comes to human rights, they're, I find them a lot of time much more open, you know, mm-hmm. for the ideas of, of equality. Mm-hmm. Because because they're told a story which, and and you know we're in the again in the in the Israeli Jewish society we were growing up telling this story about you know the Palestinians they don't want peace and the Palestinians own the whole land and throw us to the sea and you know they hate us and all these things 
Mm-hmm. So I, I have this kind of optimism I keep that actually, you know, maybe even th- maybe this generation will be open for, with a bit of help also, I don't know, from the, the social media, you know, if they'll be open to, to see that this is not the reality, maybe, you know, change, change will come from, from unexpected directions. So what kind of advice, let's end here, uh, what kind of advice do you have for these young activists or young high schoolers who might end up being activists one day for how to navigate, you know, the personal challenges that come with kind of, you know, removing the shade, removing that uh, curtain that blocked their vision of what's truly happening? I I am. I don't feel comfortable uh, giving advice to anyone. <laughs> um, I can say of my own experience that for me, really what I mentioned before, the, uh, fr- from, from the start and, and it hasn't, got, it hasn't l- lessened. I mean, it can get less. It's, a, it's an ongoing learning experience. And what, what is so, for me, um, giving energy and hope and motivation that it's learning by meeting people. You meet, you know, I meet people, speak different language from different culture, but we're, but we live in the same land, so we, we do have things in common. Mm-hmm. And and you meet different. I think generally, the more people you meet then you get to, to meet the more people who are different from you, mm-hmm. the better, the, <laughs> you know, the better. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, maybe one of the main experiences as an activist is the, in here in, in Israel, Palestine, is, is this, that, you know, I really meet amazing people, wonderful people. I learn about the country, about the culture, Few years ago, I, I started seriously uh, uh, learning Arabic. Uh, I, I still struggle, and it's, it's not easy, but it it makes a difference. And 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 also for me, I, I think also it's a story for me of of yeah. I would even dare to say I, I feel even you know more at home. Mm-hmm. You know, even if I'm if I'm uh, in in the West Bank or or, you know, in, in, a, in a Palestinian city or village in Israel. Mm-hmm. N- not home, again, not, uh, not in, a, in a sense of owning, yeah, but, but, but anyway, I mean, I, I always had a welcoming. It's like I never remember anywhere, you know, in the West Bank that I was not welcomed. Mm-hmm. But starting to learn the language, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. It's... it's um, it's a must, yeah. So I, I do recommend it very much, and it's a beautiful language, and and it's very close and, to Hebrew too, right? Yeah. So I, in a way, I, I a lot of words are similar, and 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 a lot of words in Hebrew come from Arabic also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think people forget that early Jewish scholars used Arabic too. <laughs> So I think, uh, you know, this is a great advice and I do agree that language is essential for understanding. And I mean, you live in the Middle East, right? 
exactly. Yes. So I don't know. It doesn't make sense that Israelis want to get closer to Arab countries, but they don't want to learn the language, you know. But of course, on expense of Palestinians, but also to talk to your Arab neighbors or to talk to people that you consider the other or your enemy, right? I guess by not yes. knowing their language, it's easier to dehumanize them and think that they're different, right? Yes, I, and, and I think also it, it's um, it's also for the state, it's um, it's easier to, to draw this the separation. Mm-hmm. I mean, historically, I, I heard it more from, from more than, you know, more than one direction that, that uh, Jewish immigrants from from Arab country uh, in the fifties when they came sixties they were were criticized and, and motivated not to to use Arab because they were all native Arab speaking mm-hmm. and we're talking now I mean today they're at least half of the Jewish population mm-hmm. let's say in, in big numbers they're half of the Jewish population maybe more even. But but I heard more than one story of you know how they were encouraged not to use Arabic, not to speak with their uh, you know Palestinian neighbors. So yeah, it's it's um, yeah it it has a history of itself. Our uh, detachment from from Arab culture, Arab Arab language. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you very much. I don't want to take more of your time. I know it's so late right now <laughs> for you. I really appreciate you having the conversation with me. And I'm confident that our listeners will learn a lot from this episode. I just want to wish you a good night. And hopefully we'll thank get you very to much. some point. Yes. And, and I thank you for, for the conversation. And um yeah, it was also for me a good uh, um, opportunity to think aloud about things, which is also um, a good advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs>